Welcome to the Give to Profit podcast, the podcast that inspires business owners, entrepreneurs and leaders to turn their business into a profitable force for good. During our weekly episodes, you'll hear business leaders and entrepreneurs share how they put social impact at the heart of their business and the many benefits that come from doing this. You can find full show notes for today's show and additional resources at givetoprofit.com. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, where it would also be great if you could leave us a rating and review. For every review this month, we'll be sponsoring a child to go to school for a day in Cambodia. And so now, here's your host, business mentor, speaker and author, Alison McKenzie. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Give to Profit podcast show. This is your host, Alison McKenzie. I'm delighted to be here with you again today. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today, I'm interviewing a couple who have set up an incredible charity called Classroom of Hope, Duncan Ward and Nicola Corton. I know until now, I've mainly interviewed business owners, but while looking for a new cause to support myself, I stumbled upon Classroom of Hope. And when I first spoke to Duncan, I was just so impressed about the work that they're doing, how they engage with people to support them and demonstrate their impact, as well as just loving the work that they do, because they do all sorts of incredible work taking quality education to children in developing countries and some of my favourite countries, including Bali and Rwanda, although they're also in Cambodia too. We were hoping to get, I was hoping to get them on the show earlier, but unfortunately due to the Mount Agung volcano erupting in Bali, which I know a lot of you will have heard about through my updates, it's taken slightly longer than I hoped to get them on the show, but it's just brilliant to know that they're back home safely in Bali and that we're here speaking to them today. So welcome, Duncan and Nicola. It's lovely to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Oh, it's brilliant to have you here. And I wonder if I can just actually invite you both to just share a little bit about your journeys into how you've come to be doing what you're doing together there um, based in Bali. Sure, absolutely, no worries. So our organization has been going for about five years now, but prior to that, a number of years ago, my brother passed away in South Africa, quite tragically. And this led me on a journey with an intention of trying to do a little bit more good in the world and give back to people and planet. So I started asking myself the questions, what am I doing for people and planet? And the answer was nothing. And uh, I'd been working in the corporate world as a management consultant for a number of years, working my way up the ladder. So I decided to quit my job and go traveling across the globe with an intention of trying to find more purpose and meaning for myself. Along those journeys, I traveled to some pretty high poverty areas across the globe. And having been raised in South Africa, I've always been really passionate about education. And as Nelson Mandela says, it's the, the most powerful weapon that you can use to change the world through education with children. So along that journey, I was traveling through Cambodia. And I met this incredibly inspiring man by the name of Raki Banratai, a Cambodian who was an ex-child slave through the Pol Pot regime, who had survived through the Pol Pot regime, lost a lot of his family, but managed to gain an education all the way up to high school and then went on to study his degree in uh, human resources and MBA as well. He had started up a very small not-for-profit organization that was uh, working in rural parts of Badambang, Cambodia. And he had a dream of redeveloping these seven primary schools. He saw so much how education had changed his life that he was on a mission to changing all these kids' life through education and lifting them out of poverty. So in my search for purpose and meaning, I believe the universe sent me this man and I promised him that I'd come back on a grander scale to help and support his organization to develop those primary schools. So bringing in my management consulting skills, I noticed that his organization lacked capacity So what I did was I went and formed a joint venture with the second largest uh, local NGO in education in Cambodia with his organization. And I brought them across to show them the areas where we were looking at targeting to implement the child-friendly schools framework. In doing so, we needed to do one year's worth of capacity building with his organization. And we offered to develop 15 other schools with this other organization. And it was quite humbling to see how both organizations embraced each other to create this change. So... 
that's how Classroom of Hope started. It started with a thought of honoring a promise to a man. And after that, I pretty much went back to Australia where I was living at the time and started the not-for-profit and started researching all the various different charitable and not-for-profit business models that were out there. What's working? What's not working? And how we could actually make a difference uh, through best practices of international development. So we did that and started raising funds uh, for this program. And we're five years down the line now. As of November last year, we completed and developed those seven primary schools. And we honored a promise to this man, which we're really happy about. And his dream came true. But along that journey, we learned about the education crisis globally. And that 263 million kids do not have access to education, majority across sub-Saharan Africa and Asia. And in my heart, I certainly felt that this has become our life's mission and our purpose. Hopefully until 2030, we can resolve the UN global goal of quality education Mm -hmm. for all. So that's what we're doing. And we've been developing the organization since then. And we've developed uh, 29 schools supporting 9,000 children. And along that journey, obviously, I met my beautiful wife and our creative director, Nicola Corton, who I will actually (laughs) hand over to you on her part of the story. Thank you. I met Duncan before he actually started Classroom of Hope. We met backpacking, actually. We met on a bus traveling through Laos and became very good friends very quickly. But I was on my own journey at the time and he was on his. And I was actually back in Canada when Duncan founded Classroom of Hope. I was doing my journalism degree and very focused on that. My background is actually in anthropology and I'm also an English major. So I was hoping to combine all of these skills to do some work in journalism. And somehow I ended up working in sports media, which never the plan, but it just, that's how life goes sometimes. Mm-hmm. And while all of this is happening in my life, I'm, Duncan and I were in touch and I saw the amazing organization that he had started. And eventually through catching up various times in different places, I eventually went to check out what he'd started in Cambodia. And it was on that trip that I really realized that what he had started spoke to me so much more than any work that I was doing back in Canada at the time. And just through talking, we really realized how much my skills through storytelling and writing and dabbling in different sorts of programs like Photoshop and InDesign and knowing a little bit about web and and all sorts of things, we kind of thought that if we combined forces what could we do? What could we make possible? And once that seed was sort of planted, that was it. I, I mean, along this, our, our romantic relationship was also blossoming. <laughs> but uh, I was on a plane moving to be with him in Australia three or four months later. And since then, we've worked together. And that was about four and a half years ago now. Yeah. So that's how I got involved. Wow. What an incredible journey you've both been on. And, you know, you can just feel the warmth and the love and desire to make such a difference, but also the connection between you two as well. What a wonderful way to turn a personal strategy into an incredible legacy. There's so many ways I would love to take this conversation. Now I've just got to actually pick one at a time. But one of the things that really struck me when we spoke, Duncan, and you were telling me about the evolution of the charity was really just how important those complementary skills that you've mentioned, Nicola, have been to you being able to do what you do, because it's rare that I see such a focus. And gosh, I'm not an expert in charities or social causes by any means, but it was just so refreshing to see such an incredible focus and ability to pull the right people into a project to make things happen. I mean, have you got anything you'd like to share about those skills and the part that they can play in how a charity or an organization can move forward? Yeah, absolutely. We, I think just through looking at what other charities that we like, what they were doing really well, and I'll give you an example. One that spoke to us from the beginning, who we still love and admire, is a charity called Charity Water in, in the States. And I think they were our biggest teachers in terms of showing how beautiful content and storytelling is such an asset to the world of non-for-profits and charity. What they really showed us and what we have tried to implement in our organization is bringing the stories to the donors and doing that through beautiful photos and videography and storytelling and impact reporting, which is mostly what what I do with my team and volunteers. 
we try to get those stories and bring them back to the donors. And I think that's what the feedback is. That's what people like about us. And that's what sets us apart is that we have really strived to do that and to do that really well. So yeah, definitely all the journalism skills I feel are being put to good use <laughs> and have definitely come in handy in, in being able to do that for the organization. Yeah, and I have to say that's one of the things that I just, it's exactly what you said, that is what's one of the things that just makes you stand out to me completely. I think the way that you do incorporate that storytelling through those impact reports, the videos, just everything you're doing, I just think is exceptional and it's so captivating. As somebody who wants to follow what you're doing, it just pulls me in even more. And actually, for anybody listening to this, go and check out their website. The details are in the, in the show notes and we'll mention it later on. But seriously, it's just brilliant. Go and have a look at, at what they're doing. And Duncan, sorry, were you going to add something there? Yeah, no, just to support in what Nicola was saying there is benchmarking ourselves, working out who are the best out there and how we can learn from them, which pretty much the approach we took and did a lot of research and connected with those organizations to develop our business model. One other point I did want to say is being able to run your organization like a business and speaking in a language that you're running your organization like a business as well. A lot of uh, not-for-profits that are out there um, have coming across from a, a very strong ideological perspective, but what might be missing is the strong business principles so I think of there's another organization in New York that we learned from called Pencils of Promise, where their founder, Adam Bourne, talks about these two circles coming together. And the one side of the circle is really beautiful not-for-profit ideology and good intentions. And the other side, the other circle, is strong business principles. And when you bring those two circles together, the middle section that interconnects is what he calls for purpose, a for-purpose organization, a not-for-profit that is got really beautiful intentions and good ideology, but also has very strong uh, business principles and foundations to be able to show clear transparency on financials and efficiencies as well. Yeah, I love that. I absolutely love that. And you know, it's funny because with the gift to profit model, it starts off, the basic model is a couple of circles, which is, I guess, the, the charitable ideology, but it's the desire for the same thing, the social impact, the change that we want to help support in the world or help tackle in the world and bringing that together with business. So it's just using those circles in a different way. So beautiful. So before we actually get into maybe the discussion and forget to do this piece, I'd love you just to share a little bit more about what Classroom of Hope is about. Sure. Yeah. So I'll give you our uh, elevator pitch. So <laughs> with our why, why do we exist? Um, we exist to help children unleash their greatness through life-changing education. And what we do, our purpose is to provide access to quality education to children in developing countries. And how we do that is by partnering with best practice, important local NGOs to implement education programs or projects in developing countries like child-friendly schools, building schools, clean water facilities, toilets, solar charging stations, as well as distribution of scholarships in a primary level, as well as a tertiary level for women and girls. Fantastic. Wow. And I love the clarity of that again. <laughs> Just perfect. And actually very similar. I've started doing um, social impact workshops for business owners to help them come up with what I would say, just even that very first sentence is, you know, that social impact mission statement, which is just a really concise message. So, I mean, you mentioned earlier as well, you mentioned the UN global goals that you're working towards as well. Could you share a bit more about that for any of our listeners that haven't heard about that or the, or the goals? Yeah, absolutely. So obviously the UN have, have clearly stated what the global goals are across the world for us to create balance and more harmonious, uh, I guess, world where, where things are in balance. We know there's huge imbalances across the globe. And some of the key ones, we know we're all trying to get rid of extreme poverty for sure. But the one that we really link to is quality education clean water as well for all the schools that we're building. Uh, we're providing clean water facilities and hunger, some of our child-friendly schools as well. Uh, the kids are not receiving enough food, so there are some rations that are being provided for these kids as well. So really what the UN Global Goals are doing is creating a focus on the key areas that are problematic across the world and majority in developing countries where we can provide other populations and countries fellow human beings 
with access to everything they have the right to have access to, like an education, like clean water, like food, and allow them to be pulled out of poverty as well. And that's, correct me if I'm wrong, Dindy, but I'm pretty sure that the goal is by 2030. That's correct. To yeah. have these set in place. And Duncan and I always joke about the fact that by 2030, we'd like to do ourselves out of a job. Oh, <laughs> yeah, lovely. It is the end goal. It is. To, is to get as many kids in school as, as possible. And, Absolutely, um, yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Can I just ask, are you coming nearer and far with the computer? Because sometimes the sound's getting faint and then it comes in loud again. Okay, uh, we're a little bit closer now. Is that better? So, yeah, I mean, I love the UN Global Goals. And you know, just listening to what you guys have shared there, I mean, for me, my focus and the way I've aligned my business is around the goals of education, poverty and social justice. And I suppose one of the reasons I reached out to connect to you was because I w- of the educational strand. But just listening to you, what was really nice was hearing what the goals that you're really focusing in on, because it helps me realise that I'm having greater impact because through supporting you and the fact that you've also are looking to support the goals, you know, around hunger and clean water, then the impact that I'm having is greater than just the ones I was focusing in on. So that awareness has just come from listening to you just now. So thank you for that. You're welcome. So what impact do you know you've had so far through the work that you're doing? Well, impact is a, a very interesting topic because I guess it would mean, how do you define impact? You know, we've been having some fascinating conversations with our partners in country. For us, for example, if we build a new school, the actual building that's there is an input. But the real true outcome is those kids graduating from primary school, from secondary school, from high school. And, you know, also things like gender equality and ensuring that the girls have also got access to quality education. So, We try to look at a number of impact indicators, but to us, the ultimate outcome is when these kids have worked their way through school and were able to, A, either get a job or B, are able to go on and study a tertiary qualification, get qualified and become a thriving citizen of their country and in turn earning good money. And we've just actually seen it through our... uh, STEM for Women program, which is all about gender equality and providing women in uh, Cambodia with access to um, tertiary scholarships. I might just let Nick talk about some of the outcomes we've had there. Yeah, um, this is one of my favorite programs right now. It's um, all about getting, um, as Duncan said, getting young women into STEM education, so science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And we've just recently had five graduates from this program come through. We've got another five graduating at the end of February. And what's been amazing about this particular program is these are young women who were young girls that were supported by our local partners. And they've now gone on to graduate with these tertiary degrees and they're employed. They're working as system network engineers and web programmers. And some of them are studying food sciences and they're actually employed in their field. And that in itself is an amazing outcome and impact. But to take that to the next level, what we've learned about women in particular who are educated is that they have a tendency to bring others out of poverty with them. So these women, even though they're working and they're very proud of that, what they're most happy about is the fact that they're actually sending money back to their family or community to help others also lift themselves out of poverty. Some of them are even supporting their younger sisters to go to school. So there's this beautiful cyclical exchange happening where they give back to their communities. And when you educate women, they bring others out of poverty with them. And that to me is just an outstanding impact. Yeah, absolutely. You know, some of the other things we we focus on is really the impact of education and uh, some of those are improving income equality, greater equity in both education enrollment and school quality across all population groups will result in a more equal income distribution and in turn reduce socioeconomic inequities in general. It also reduces hunger, uh, food insecurity by 20 to 24% based on doubling the attendance rates in primary education for rural populations reducing mortality rates, and also improving a person's earnings and GDP. Each year of education can increase a person's earnings by 10%, an average annual GDP by 0.37%. And these are just some of the stats that we see out of UNESCO and the UN. Yeah. Oh, just incredible. The legacy of what you're doing. And 
And I guess one of the things that I'm hearing in what you've shared there, I mean, that just sounds an amazing project. And having worked with a group of genocide survivors in Rwanda, I know the challenges of getting people to the point of where they can actually go out and get that job and be sustainable and the way that they do support each other and a lot of people in their community. But one of the things I guess I'm taking away from this part of the conversation is that actually a lot of this measuring impact a lot of what you're doing is about the long-term impact and that can take time to actually pull together, can't it? To actually know and it's, it's having faith that if you do things, if you know you're doing things well and it's monitoring a process but at the same time trusting that over the long term it is actually going to deliver on the impact that you're wanting to have. Yeah, absolutely. One other example is building a school is an asset and you know the life cycle of that asset might be 30 to 40 years. So if, you, if it's a primary school that you're building, you know every six years you're getting new kids that are coming through that school. So it's a matter of monitoring those statistics and understanding, well, okay, over the life cycle of that asset, how many children have actually gone through there mm. and qualified with primary education. So your impact becomes compounding over, over the years. Mm. And it's not always, I mean, I think part of building these primary schools is around educating the community mm. around the importance yeah. of education. So a lot of the time or all of the time we get when we do build a new school, our local partners will hold community meetings to ensure that all of the parents understand the importance of actually getting their children into that school, yes. why the school is being built there and what is the desired outcome. And that is something that our local partners do at the beginning of an opening of a school, but then it's something that they keep checking back in with the community so that people if ever there's a reason that parents aren't sending their kids to school, and there's multiple reasons why sometimes kids get pulled out of school, and usually it's related to just the extreme poverty and the fact that they need their children working or bringing in an income for the for the family. And there's a lot of education that goes into the community around why in the long run getting them to go to school is really important. Yeah, yeah I can imagine that would be the case, definitely. One of the things that you've mentioned a couple of times is that you partner with people in the community and different um, projects there. Have you got any tips for how people would go about finding good local partners? Um, this is something I get asked quite a bit, actually, because of the work we've done in Rwanda around, well, how do you find the right people on the ground to support you? Yeah, absolutely. So I can speak from my own experiences on the approach I took. Firstly, I did some research on development models that are out there and the ones that always came up with the highest return has been partnering with local organizations that are working with local suppliers that are working with local social entrepreneurs that are supporting the micro and macro economies in those countries rather than western agencies coming in with all the solutions and the interventions so what we prefer to do is find out who are the best local organizations who are capable of implementing education programs. And in the beginning, what I did was I went on to a number of organizations that were already working in Cambodia and I reached out to them and I said, can you let me know where I can find lists of NGOs, local NGOs that are working in those countries? And they sent me to uh, some of the government websites where there were lists that I accessed. And then what I did was I looked at a number of their websites and pretty much started due diligence on some of these organizations by seeing, well, who are they? Are they registered? Have they got best practice certification in that country? What is their track record of international development? Where is their impact being shown on the website? What are their financials like? Do they have annual reports? Are they being audited? Can they provide audited financial statements? And their teams and their values and mission and vision as well. Finding organizations that you can align with to perfectly align with your own organization's mission, vision, and, and values makes for a harmonious, what we call smartnership. Oh, which is what, So once I did that, I started working it down to maybe five organizations. And then I went over to Cambodia and I went around and I visited those organizations. Some of those other uh, pieces of due diligence, like financial, going through their financial systems and processes. Looking at, I followed a management consulting approach to it, given my background and skill set. 
So in doing that, I gathered the information on how these organizations were running, efficiencies, et cetera, and nailed it down to the last two. And then what I would do then is take those two organizations who I thought would be a perfect fit, bring it back to my board of directors and present the due diligence to them on what I believe would be the right partnership or smartnership for us moving forward to implement education programs in those countries. There's nothing greater than people from their own country feeling like they are changing their country. And if you can find those right organizations where let's say 95% of the organization's staff are all locals, then that's empowerment. You're empowering them to provide you with proposals and solutions on how to best tackle some of these issues in some of the most rural parts of their country. They know their culture best and we have to respect that. Some TED Talks I've watched in the past that talks about how dead aid and aid has gone wrong because we haven't actually listened to the locals and tried to understand some the issues. And there are some really beautiful unsung heroes and great organizations doing amazing work. And our our intention here at Classroom of Hope is to partner with those types of organizations and really sing their praises and credit. Yeah. It's interesting just listening to what the process there that you've just described to finding those. I love that phrase, smartnerships, which actually for me, listening to you is very, very similar to the approach that I use when looking for causes to support in terms of doing that due diligence, going out and looking at all the information. But for me, it is also about going out and participating in the work that that organisation is doing so I can see what's happening before I develop, before I invest too much time and money in deciding that is, that's the cause or the organisation. I would like to support and you're absolutely right I mean there's nothing like empowering the local people for in terms of implementing a long-term sustainable project that is going to be embraced and supported by a local community yeah absolutely so no thank you for sharing that Nicola were you going to add anything there I was actually just thinking in one situation where this became really evident for us was when we decided to expand into Rwanda, we'd been doing child-friendly schools in Cambodia because that was what the need was. And when we went to Rwanda and decided to start At first, we didn't know how it was all going to go, but we decided that we wanted to start supporting the country. And quickly, we learned that their need wasn't in creating child-friendly schools. It was that they actually lacked structure. They needed buildings. They needed schools built from the ground up. It was such an eye-opening experience for Duncan and I because it was, I think, because we'd changed, gone into a new country, we realized so profoundly how every country is so different and how... If we'd just gone in there thinking, oh, we're just going to do what we did in Cambodia and do that here because that's working in Cambodia, we would have been so wrong. And it was just really evident in that trip. And it's been even more evident moving into Indonesia and working now in Bali and on Gili Menno, how here there's a massive need for children to learn English. And because it's it's such a tourism-driven economy. And we learned that through partnering with a local partner who understands the need. So it's just every time we start work in a new country, this becomes even more and more clear that we really need to just listen and support. And that is our primary role. Yeah, you're spot on, Nick. Like the, We play more of a project oversight from a, a donation perspective, reviewing all the reports and with our development advisors on how they're actually tracking in terms of progress and impact and inputs and outcome. And then Nick and her team will actually travel to the field and gather the evidence of those impacts and outcomes and turn them into stories to connect that back to the donor, which is important. Donors want to be inspired. They want to see impact and they want to have a great experience. And that is really what we put a lot of time and effort into. Why would we go and set up Classroom of Hope in a developing country and setting up a whole new registered organization? speed to value is by finding organizations that are already there doing incredible work. They just need the support. Yeah, wonderful. I mean, I am really pleased that you found those really good partners in Rwanda. I know that for us, that was definitely, we've worked with some great people, but it was also definitely one of our biggest challenges was finding the right partners and sometimes getting it wrong at the same time. And as you're saying, because our intention was always to go in and partner with the actual organisations and also with the individuals and the young people we were helping. It was very much, we treated it as a partnership in every connection we had. But that isn't always easy when you're dealing with different cultures and as you say, very different specific needs. So thanks for sharing that insight. It's really, really important. So how have you gone about raising funds for the projects? that you I mean you've got lots of different projects going on how have you gone about raising funds other than running around like a headless chicken <laughs> <laughs> 
Actually, I really love fundraising. You just got to think of the first three letters, fun. You got to come from a fun uh, perspective and try and enjoy it and not let it become too stressful. But again, you know, coming back to the approach uh, we took was, was research, is understanding how others are doing it, how they're doing it really well. And I guess the more traditional ways of fundraising by putting in grant applications with foundations, um, applying for funding from corporations and trying to form partnerships there and working out what the value proposition is that you can offer to them so they know that they're getting a return on investment as well. So we've formed uh, foundation partnerships, we've formed corporate partnerships, and one lately that we've been working really hard on is forming social enterprise partnerships. Now, I believe social enterprise is growing at a rapid rate across the globe, certainly in Australia by about 25% a year. So finding those social entrepreneurs who are providing 25 to 50% of profits to a specific issue can be huge. So we believe in the long run, you know, we're going to have more social enterprise partnerships probably than corporate. But right now, we also do campaigns every year. Nick, talk about some of the campaigns that we run and one that we've actually got coming up in Bali in May Mm -hmm. uh, called the Bali Hope Ultra. Yeah, we've been really blessed with some amazing fundraisers on our, our journey. And one campaign that we run is called the Bagwalkers Campaign. And this started four years, three or four years ago, three years ago. And we were actually, um, we were short on funds for a particular project and um, needed money fast. So we came up with this idea about walking for education and it, it kind of it aligned with the project that we were supporting because children were walking a very long distance to get to school and they needed a building, a school, a school building. And so we came up with this bag walkers campaign where individuals would carry backpacks with school supplies and books and all sorts of different things and walk a certain amount of kilometers with it. And all the while, and it was a branded, it had like bag walkers, classroom of hope and all of that on it. And, and of, through walking with this bag, you talk to your friends, talk to your family and set up a fundraising page and, and get funds donated. And then this evolved and we ended up doing it three years in a row. Yeah, three years in a row. Each year supporting a different project. And people, the fundraisers are amazing. They just, they own it. And it's campaigns like that that are amazing. It's just amazing to see the community come together and, and see what's possible with a lot of people raising relatively small amount. But what that does when you bring it as a collective unit, we're able to build schools when there's multiple people working together, which is just an incredible thing to see. We also have some people that start their own thing. They decide to swim for for education or they decide to run for education or they decide to bike for education or throw a party for education. There's all Mm. sorts of things that they individuals do. And one of my favorite recent examples of an individual who took fundraising into their own hands is a man named Tom. He lives here in Bali and Duncan and I met him at our local cafe where we used to work in the mornings and he actually was an owner at the cafe. And just through going there, we started to get to know him and he started to learn a little bit about our work and he was running at the time it was he had just kind of discovered that he loved running and he was running every day and decided that he wanted to run for a purpose and he started fundraising to run the first ever ultra marathon across Bali and he did this for Classroom of Hope he did this for scholarships for children living in northern Bali he ended up raising $10,000 um, to educate 10 children through education through um, primary school so it was just amazing what he did and it's actually turned into something even more incredible which is that this May he has organized for 15 I think even more than 15 runners now to come to Bali and do this run, do this ultra marathon run. They're all responsible for raising, uh, is it $2,000? $5,000 each. Most of them have set goals of much higher. And the goal of this community of 15 plus runners coming together is the goal is to educate 100 children. So it's, that's just an example of this individual who felt connected to our cause, wanted to do something, and just took it upon himself to do something. Yeah. <laughs> And it's just turned into this amazing idea and he's going to be supporting so many children as a result. I tell you what, what an inspiring man that guy is uh, because after he had just nailed it, as Nick was saying, he just raised $10,000 doing this run. And along that journey, a pretty cool story, one of his shoes got stolen by a dog while he was up in the mountain. (gasps) No! So one of the nurses gave 
her shoe to him. They had to cut the front open so his foot could stick out. And he ran this all the way with a shoe that was too small for him. Now we've actually created a shrine of the two shoes. Hilarious. (laughs) Speaking of social enterprise is uh, this man is a, a very astute entrepreneur and after he ran the event, he'd just finished running 84 kilometers and we're sitting down and we're having a bit of a chat congratulating him on, on the impact he's about to create for these kids. And he looks at me and he goes, how can we turn this into something significant? So I said to him, why don't you set up a social enterprise? Told him what social enterprise was and how it works. And he ended up incorporating in Singapore, setting up his social enterprise called Bali Hope Ultra. And his goal was to set up ultra marathons, first one in Bali and some across Southeast Asia, to raise $100,000 per event for kids' education with Classroom of Hope as a partnership. And then 50% of the profits that he's making through all of that would also go to Classroom of Hope as well. And he's formed partnerships with two significant hotels, the Alila and the Lavina in the South and in the North, where these 15 runners from across the globe are going to get a seven-day beautiful experience of Bali, visit the project where the kids are going to be impacted and then they're going to run 84 kilometers and raise five thousand dollars a pop to raise a hundred thousand dollars to change this entire community and this man has done this since august last year it's extraordinary Mm -hmm. and i love talking about him because i find him very inspiring Mm -hmm. and uh tell you what if you ever want to interview someone he'd be a good one (laughs) you know listening to you i was sitting thinking i would love to interview this guy So inspiring. So we'll have a conversation about that at the end. But wow, how incredible. And he's such a testament to what one person can do. And Mm -hmm. I think that just just to bring around to your original question about fundraising, you know, it's, yes, it's it's the other partnerships and the corporates and the grants and all of that. But if organizations, if not-for-profits can find their toms, you know, like they're people that just advocates for them who are determined to make a difference. I mean, there's so much power in that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, totally. I mean, that's one of the messages that I talk about a lot when I go out with Give to Profit is saying to causes, whether it's charities or social enterprises, that you can try and get the money from the corporations and the big funders, but there are so many causes competing for a relatively small pot. Um, And there are millions of small to medium-sized businesses and business owners, entrepreneurs who actually want to do good and are just looking for opportunities. And that's one of my visions is to connect those people and to inspire people, to, especially from causes, to think about partnering with smaller businesses. Because as you said, you know, it's a growing market. And when it's the collective of when you have lots of individuals who feel passionate about what they're, you're doing, they will go off and do the work and you get the money. And they become, it's not just about the raising the money for you. They become advocates for you and share what you're doing, which is so valuable too. So thank you for sharing all of that. And it's, yeah, very, very inspiring. And it's, I know for me, I mean, I, th- I think Duncan, I had shared this with you when we first spoke about how this year there was a couple of us who were intending to bring out business owners over to Bali and the whole intention was that we were going to I was going to teach them how to raise money through their business and set them a target of it was probably going to be around the five thousand dollar mark to raise the money themselves and then we would come over to Bali and we would do some retreat with them teaching them things but also take them out to the projects that they had supported and now unfortunately that hasn't happened because we decided not to do it because we didn't know what was happening with Mount Agung this year but it's certainly still there as not even a big dream it's something I intend to do very soon um, so really really inspiring to hear about this guy that's been doing that for you and I would love it I would really love it if this interview just inspires other people to to actually think about what they could do whether or not it's for you or for other causes that they just feel very closely connected to mm. yeah and so how I'm just looking at the track but I could talk to you guys for hours <laughs> And maybe one of these days we'll get to meet when when I come over to Bali or when you're over here. But I'm just wondering about if, have you got any tips for how people, you know, or ideas for how people listening to this or could actually support you? Oh, actually, actually, sorry, before we come on to that question, I do have to ask the other one because I think it's so clever before we even get there. Could you share about the business owls? Because I just think that idea is just fantastic as a way to get funding and to structure yourselves as a charity. 
Sure, absolutely. Sorry, wise owls. No problem. And also thank you for becoming a wise owl. We're really grateful for that, Alison. So wise owls was a, I guess, a business concept that we learned from those who are already doing it really well in the States, Charity Water. They set up a business model, except theirs was called Well Members, where they had a number of donors that would pay the funding to cover their operating costs. And they would send 100% of all the funds from the public to fund water projects. So we thought, wow, this is great. This is brilliant. So we took that model and we tried to implement it into our organization. We called it the Wise Owls. So originally I pitched um, maybe 31 times across Australia to try and raise significant funds to cover our operating budget. And I got zero traction. And the reason why I got zero traction is because the philanthropic behaviors in Australia are quite different to those in the States. So we went back to the drawing board and Nick and I had a bit of a brainstorm and we thought, well, what if we flipped that model and we turned it into everyday individuals? So we made it really attractive and we said, well, if you become a wise owls, at a minimum, you become an investor and a shareholder within Classroom of Hope with your first share being purchased at $9 a month and you can purchase as many shares as you like. And our goal is to sell 1,000 shares, wise owl shares within our organization. And the intention of this is to receive funding that will cover our operating costs, our salaries and everything else that's important, just like in another business when you need to invest capital, infrastructure, back-end systems, IT, which is required for us to be sustainable. This is just a way we thought that would be smart to gather investors. But what we would do in return for them is, one, we would provide them with a share certificate. Two, we put all our investors' names on our website, um, Classroom of Hope slash Wise Owls. And three is every quarter via video, Nicola and myself will personally create a video that reports to them as investors on everything holistically that's going on in our organization, from the programs to the fundraising, to the impact, and to our financials as well. And we're taking this even one step further where some of our, well, all of the wise owls, we're going to be putting them to vote for specific projects. So if we're going to build a school in Myanmar, Laos, and Cambodia, we'll put the vote to them and go, where would you like us to build this school first? Here's the information, vote. So it's about getting people invested in your organization, making them feel like they're really part of your family and they are a true investor. And once we reach that 1,000 pot being sold, then we will be fully sustainable and in turn, we'll send 100% of all online donations to fund education programs. So it's treating them like shareholders. We can't give them stock, but we can certainly treat them like shareholders. And the return on investment is going to be the amount of children that we're educating and the impact and outcomes that are being delivered. And we report to them as if they truly do invest in our organization, which in our eyes, they are doing. So it's running, it's similar to like, I guess, as if you're on the stock market. So this new model we've implemented, we're 40% of the way, and we're still looking for more wise owls to join our team and help us become fully sustainable. Yeah, I just think it's such a fantastic model. And it's funny, I mean, I don't know if I I said Duncan, but my background was stockbroking and investment. Um, And for various reasons, massive values class. You know, I don't regret being there by any means. But when I heard about your model, I was just like, oh my God, that is just such a brilliant and innovative way that I think so many charities or social enterprises could be adopting to really look at. And I have to say that what you do and the way that you treat us as wise owls it's lovely because I think sometimes, you know, I, didn't, I support lots of different causes through monthly standing orders and, and donations that I make. But you are the guys that I feel most connected to because of the videos and because it just it helps us feel like we're involved, that we are genuinely invested in what you're doing, connected to you. And I mean, I said to you guys before we started recording how lovely it was to just see you with your little girl as well. So you just feel like you're part of this extended family and that you're a family doing good. Happy and here. Yeah, that's, that's really nice to hear because we are a family business. <laughs> You know, we're a family non-profit. Um, it's Duncan and I, and um, and we've got a team of amazing volunteers around us who feel like family. And, and it's just nice to know that our wise owls feel that connection. That's really good feedback. Thank oh, you. I definitely do. I think what you're doing is fabulous. And it's a, it's a brilliant model that I hope, again, it inspires other people to do something similar. So, I mean, obviously, if there's anyone listening who wants to become a wise owl, please go to the website. <laughs> but how else is it that businesses can support you? You know, they could become a wise owl, they could make donations. Are there other ways businesses help you or could help you? Of course, yeah. There's, there's so many ways, you know. Uh, there's a number of in-kind 
specific skill sets we might be looking for where we could use support within the organization as we slowly scale and become a bit more sustainable and reaching our equilibrium as well as probably our key program we're trying to get funded at the moment is our building schools program. We have a goal of building three schools this year, two of them in rural Cambodia and uh, one of them in Laos where I can't even begin to describe what, what the schools look like if it's four sticks and a little tin roof. So we're raising $180,000 to build three schools and we have a number of partners that we bring together to provide us with the funds and then we take them on their journey. It's not just about thanks for the money, see you later. It's about gratefully taking the money and then taking them on a journey, making them feel like they are there, connecting them with progress reports, impact reports, uh, GPS coordinates, photos of the outcomes that are being delivered then and inviting them to come over to the school to be part of that ceremony with that community is nothing more emotionally connecting than being there with that community and seeing that change being created for those kids and for those, those parents and teachers, etc. It's our favorite part of our work is when we're in the field and we're seeing the outcomes. So there's many ways you can get involved uh, through donating, through in-kind support, through becoming a Wise Owls as well, if you feel that that's a connect for you. Fundraising. Yeah, fundraising. If you want to do a challenge and and raise funds for kids' education, we've got a platform on our website where you can sign up and get your own supporter page and share that through all your social connections uh, to raise funds for education. Fantastic. You know, that leads on to something that I was um, looking to speak to you guys about after the interview because I'm setting up doing gift to profit fundraising challenges, which are going to run on an ongoing basis to help business owners and entrepreneurs learn how to incorporate fundraising into their marketing and business. And I was hoping that you could be one of the charities that I encourage people to support if you would like that. (laughs) So we'll have a conversation about that off air. But for anybody listening, just please, please, please do definitely get in touch if that is something that you're interested in doing. So just to to wrap up, if there was one last thing that you each wanted to share, what would it be? Wow, that is a great question. I guess. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right, don't worry. We can edit out a pause, but we'll keep some of it in because it's nice. For me, one last thing that I'd like to share is just Duncan and I are so fortunate in that, one, I mean, we feel very fortunate that we get to do this work at all. But I think we also feel really fortunate that we get to see the impact. And like we get to go into the field and, and meet these kids and meet the teachers and meet the communities. And I think if there's something I'd like to share, it's just that um, that's had a profound impact on my life. And I just feel really grateful that we get to do this work. And it's through people supporting us and doing this that, that we can continue to create that impact. And I just, I, I feel really grateful for it. So I just wanted to say thank you to you for interviewing us and for letting us share our story because this really is our, um, it's our purpose. And um, it's not always easy. There are definitely days where it's challenging, but mostly it's, it's incredibly rewarding and we feel really, really really grateful that we get to do it so thank you to you for having us on your show and sharing our story and letting more people hear about what we do yeah i concur with what nick says there and from my perspective uh we've changed our lives significantly since uh leaving corporate and nick leaving uh journalism and um i quite like the approach of live simply and give much and bring joy to other people because the definition of joy is when you create happiness and you share that happiness with other people. And happiness shared is through giving and making others feel really good about themselves and lifting them up as well. So this whole process of Classroom of Hope has not just been uh, great for the kids and the impact and everything. It's been a pretty awesome spiritual journey for the two of us and our growth as well and how we want to live our life. So thank you as well from my perspective uh, for your support and for this opportunity of the interview. Truly grateful. We're having so much fun. It's all just living to us, you know. We don't actually... (laughs) Work work and play is the same thing for us. Oh, I get you. I totally get you. And you know, I'm sitting here with this massive warm glow of warmth and I mean, literally by my heart. I I mean, we're recording this first thing in the morning for me and I. it really has been just one of the best ways to start the day speaking to you guys and I'm, I just feel we've got tears in my eyes just thinking about everything you're doing and I just feel so honored to be a part of it and to have the opportunity to support what you're doing I really really do so if people want to connect with you or to check out the work that you're doing what's the best places they can do that 
Well, to check out our work, you can go to our website, which is classroomofhope.org. We've also got a Facebook account, which is just uh, backslash Classroom of Hope. And we've got an Instagram account as well, which is at Classroom of Hope. And that's really where they can find all of our work. Yeah. Um, in terms of getting in touch. Yeah, see. on our website, uh, we've got um, an email address as well where you can touch base with us if you'd like to connect with us. My email, duncan.ward, V-A-R-D, at classroomofhope.org. And mine is nicola.corton, uh, C-O-U-R-T-I-N, at classroomofhope.org. Love to hear from you. Oh, brilliant. Thank you so much to both of you for your time today. I've just thoroughly enjoyed speaking to you and I really hope there's going to, I feel and I sense that there's going to be a long-term partnership happening here in one way or another. And I mean, I've just taken, personally, I've taken so much away from this conversation as well. Gosh, just trying to think of a couple of things to mention, you know, the the whole idea of a smart nurseship, I just think is brilliant. (laughs) Absolutely brilliant. A a good approach um, in terms of how we choose to partner with causes as, as a business, but actually also how we choose to partner with people generally, actually, to be perfectly honest. And I love that tip that you said at the start about, you know, actually adapting the specific needs to individual countries and really being very mindful to that. So thank you so much. I know that people listening to this are going to be so inspired. So thanks very much to you guys. And thanks to everybody for tuning in to this episode. Remember to check out givetoprofit.com or alison.com for the full show notes, plus details of how you can connect with us all. And if you would like to raise funds or to learn how to raise funds for a charity or social cause, including, of course, Classroom of Hope, then please do get in touch because the Give to Profit fundraising challenge will be starting at the, in fact, by the time this show airs, I'll have just launched the Give to Profit fundraising challenge, which will be an ongoing challenge. You can join at any time with a mixture of online training lessons and online forum and documentation and support from me with live calls as well. So just go to the show notes to find out more or email me to get find out more. So until next time, remember, business is a great opportunity to be kind and what you do next matters. Thanks for listening to the Gift to Profit podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, remember to subscribe to the show on iTunes so you hear about our next episodes. It would be great if you left a rating and review of the show there too. For every review this month, Alison will be sponsoring a child to go to school for a day in Cambodia. You can connect and chat with Alison on Twitter using the handle at Alison Mac and through the Give to Profit Facebook fan page. And if you don't already have a copy of Alison's best-selling book, Give to Profit, How to Grow Your Business by Supporting Charities and Social Causes, you can get this on Amazon around the world.